0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit Gospelite.org. It it started off as a a fun thing this uh, past spring. uh, This musical called The Greatest Show on Earth, or The Greatest Showman, uh, came on the scene with great music and great songs, and I attended it uh, with my daughter and my son, Zoe and I went skeptical just kind of for Chloe because she begged us to go one night. I think we actually may have even gone to like, you know, the 11 o'clock movie that night. We were like the only three people in the whole movie house, you know, and we in Hot Springs, obviously. <laughs> You're like, what was that? At? Three people? Hot Springs. Oh, OK, I get it. And uh, and uh, we had a great time. I mean, we, we, we about halfway through. Zoe and I thought it's pretty good movie, you know, great songs, good storyline. Well, then I, I came back and I invited uh, a bunch of people to go with me. And we went for a second time. And I think I had, we must have had 50 people in the in the, in the theater that night from our church. And I, I just fell in love with the movie and, and, and still wasn't even thinking about doing something like this. So sometime prior to the summer, by the way, if you need a worship guide, thanks guys for hanging in there with me, I forgot. Would you raise your hand if you need a worship guide and we'll get to you. Thank you guys. So sometime in the midst of... <clears throat> of just, in, you know, enjoying the movie, probably several occasions, uh, the storyline became somewhat, I mean, the entire storyline with all of the songs kind of became uh, somewhat of a, a spiritual awakening for me in, 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 a, in each song in its own way. And, uh, and so I, I just began to think about what it might look like to have some fun this summer. One reason why I think I was led to do it was because in the summertime, if I could confess full disclosure here about how uh, like a pitfall a preacher can fall into um, is we can kind of get relaxed in the summer. And sometimes uh, we can tend to uh, find excuses, not not to study as much as we normally would or or try to preach something fresh. Folks are gone. It's the summertime. People are on vacation. It's not as you know, it's not right to do that, but we can. I'm just being honest and then sometimes we can look at maybe an old sermon and kind of refresh it not that that's wrong but at the end of the day i wanted some accountability and i figured if i if i dove into a, a summer long series that every sunday it would be fresh and every sunday i would have to really prepare and study and so that's that's what i i did presented it to our worship team it was well received and so here we are the ninth sunday and we've taken each song, and we've actually, almost for each song, had a live performance. It's been pretty cool. Uh, I've enjoyed that, and it's been fun. And it's, uh, I've enjoyed the couple of times we've actually showed a video like we will uh, today. Uh, but but I, I've always enjoyed just kind of reminding us of the song. Today I want to take an extra couple minutes. The, the movie line truly had the value of family. At the end of the day, that's what it was all about. At the end of the movie, every song, every scene, in fact, the last song culminates. If you've watched the movie, you will remember that all the scenes came together in the last song from now on. And as the song was being sung, you saw pieces coming together, people falling in love that, that, that were struggling to find that. And, 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 and a husband and a wife uh, made some decisions at the end of the movie to put family first there was the storyline was a man who had began to neglect his family. He got caught up in work and other things and money and materialism and climbing the the, the corporate ladder and and making sure that he was always a little better than the Joneses, you know, just just always had to climb higher and have more and was never satisfied with himself. And so the movie shows how because of that, he came close to having an affair and he also There were several heartbreaking scenes where they would show the dinner table during a particular song where it was just, you know, his wife and kids and he was out, you know, doing his duty and working his job and climbing the corporate ladder. I remember one of the saddest scenes was the girls running behind the the little chariot. For us, it would be a car. They're running down the driveway, daddy, daddy, kind of a don't leave scene and he drives off and you can just hear without it being said, this is more important than you And so That's why I like the movie Because it has a happy ending I don't know what's happening To Hollywood lately But they're having like Really bad endings lately I mean some of these movies Like the bad guys are winning You know I'm like What's going on here you know Well in this one The good guy wins And by the way Our story The good guy wins Jesus comes back On a white horse And we're going to be with him And, and it's, it's exciting to know that, that we have a Bible That tells us the end of the story So there's a good storyline At the end of the movie And you know, I came to the place as I began this sermon series not realizing that even though it's nine sermons long, it's kind of two sermon series. It's one that's nine sermons long, and it's one that's three sermons long. Because the last three songs really, truly deal with, with parenting, with family, with the husband-wife relationship, and you just can't get away from it. And so that's where we are. And so as this last song is sung, though I'm going to show you a version of that song because that's been kind of our fun tradition, I want you to really take just a moment because the version I'm showing you is not the scene in the movie. I'm always a little careful about showing scenes in the movie in a congregation, just thoughtful. The, the scene is not bad, it's not wrong, it's, uh, but some of it does take place in, 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 a, in, a, in a bar, a saloon, as they, uh, that you can't see or necessarily experience wrong, but I, I just don't want to offend even one person And so we won't show the scene, uh, but we're going to uh, show the version of the song. But I want to sing just, and I'm not a good singer, but I want you to listen because the song starts, he's sitting in this this bar, he's got all his friends around him, and he gets it. it, it hits him, he's like, I saw the sun begin to dim and felt that winter wind blow cold. A man learns... Who is there for him when the glitter fades and the walls won't hold cause from that rubble what remains can only be what's true if all was lost there's more I've gained cause it led me back to you and he's looking at a picture of his wife when he says cause it led me back to you And from now on, these eyes will not be blinded by the lights. And from now on, what's waited till tomorrow starts tonight, tonight. And let this promise in me start like an anthem in my heart from now on, from now on. And so here's one of my favorite versions of it. It's Hugh Jackman singing it in the studio. He had had cancer in his nose and he wasn't sure he was going to be able to sing it. It's a fun version. Enjoy it and I'll preach, okay? If you've watched the movie, the greatest scene to me was watching him running home. He was running home, singing. I'm coming home. I'm getting things right. From now on. It's going to be different between me and you, baby. We're fixing this marriage. We're fixing this thing with our kids. The last scene in the movie was this, if you saw it. It was he and his wife sitting in a theater just like that. And I thought, what a picture. You know, as my wife and I get older and have grandchildren, we know that that's going to be a picture that we want to experience. Our kids will all be grown and gone. Our grandkids will be growing up, visiting periodically. But if there's one thing I want when I'm 70, 80, and 90, is I want that picture to be me and her. Sitting at Broadway watching it. Anyway, okay, and uh, all right, <laughs> All right, so turning your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, and, and let's jump right in, because we're applying the Ten Commandments to marriage. It's crazy. I, I, I never thought I would try to do this, but yet... What's amazing about the Ten Commandments is that when you look into God's law, you can see that it applies to every area of life. I mean, really, it it doesn't even take, well, I shouldn't say it doesn't, it does take effort, it takes study, it takes time and planning and preparation, but God's law, His commandments, if you will, apply to every area of life. We started in Exodus chapter 20, verse number three, where it says, thou shalt have no other God's before me. That's the the first commandment. Applied to marriage, God will be the first. God will be the final authority in our marriage. Period. End of story. Number two, we discovered in verse number five that God was pretty serious about there being no idols in our lives, in our marriage. And applied to marriage, we said that God's love is going to be our highest priority. Nothing's going to replace God's love. He's going to come first in our marriage, beyond, before anything else, before any hobbies, before any idols, before money, before job, before our spouse, even our spouse. Our kids are not going to become idols. God's first. And then thirdly, we discovered in verse 7 that there was a verse that, just, that, that talked uh, about not taking the name of the Lord in vain. And we said there should be no other gods, no idols, and no blasphemy. But we we went a step further with this because so many times we sort of stop at at the vulgar language that we often call cursing or blasphemy. But when we looked at that verse and studied it more intensely and looking words up in the Hebrew, we found that that word take literally means not so much speech, but representing, bearing, carrying a name. So we discovered that in our marriage, we must represent Jesus Christ. And if we represent Jesus Christ to our spouse, then we are fulfilling the law. But if we do not, then we're blasphemous. Our kids need to see in a mom and a dad a representation of Jesus Christ and a correct one. The content for today begins in verse number eight. In verse number eight, the Bible says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Man, pastor, where are you going with marriage on this one? Hang on. Listen, it's, it's, it's amazing. It really is. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant. You've got somebody that works for you. Man, give him off that day. Your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Why should I do this, God? Why is this so important? Well, remember, God says, remember back when I created the world? In six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That, my friend, is a lot of verses for one command. In fact, there are more verses about that command than anything else. So I want to begin with some thoughts, because in order for me to apply this to marriage, it's going to take a while. In fact, it's not a long message, but at the end of the message is really when I completely apply it to marriage. But we're going to build up The truth until then. We'll mention marriage a few times, but at the end of the day, the application will come. So it's going to take you and I uh, some focus as we discover this truth and how it applies to marriage. So let me begin with this. Why does it seem that some have a fervent love for Christ that does not seem to show up in their marriage or in their parenting. Why is that? I want you to think about that for just a minute. A question to ponder. You have to let that sink in. It almost sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not. It's true. That is a true statement. Why does it seem that some who have a fervent love for Christ, they never miss church, they go to small group, they even read their Bible in the mornings, they... They they pray, they have this relationship seemingly with God, but they don't have one with their spouse. They don't really have a strong relationship with their children. And the contradiction here is that Scripture clearly states that love for God must translate into love for those closest to us. It's, it's, It's got to. For instance, what does scripture teach? It teaches the two greatest commandments are what? Number one, to love the Lord thy God with all your heart. But what's the second commandment that is likened to the first? To love your neighbor. And some might say, well, pastor, why doesn't it say family there? Well, it's, it's obvious it means family. It means anyone other than God. I mean, if you love your neighbor, obviously, surely you love your family more, uh, don't think anyone loves their neighbor more than they would love their family. I mean, it's just, it's the teaching here is to make sure we understand that love for God will translate into love for others, especially those closest to us. So, I'm confused. A lot of kids are confused. A lot of young people are confused. Sometimes we... We don't know if we should say anything. And so we wait until we're 53 years old and we, we, we mature and we, that's me, I'm 53. And I'm, 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 I'm scratching my head thinking, what, why is this? Because growing up in my world, you have a world, I have a world. My world was growing up as a young preacher and influenced by pastors. So my world includes pastors who had a fervent love for Christ. My world would include names like Jack Hiles or maybe a name like Tom Malone or Maybe a name like Lester Roloff or maybe a name like Lee Robertson. That those names may not mean much to everyone here. There may be a handful of people that would say, I know that one or I know two of those. There'd be maybe a twelve a dozen folks that might know all four of those names. But growing up, those were all very successful preachers who would go everywhere. And you might even see them signing Bibles. You you might even see them, you know, in large churches and and actually preaching. Messages that were biblical based, and and yet their marriages fell apart. Their kids were out of church and didn't serve God. And why is that? It doesn't seem to really add up. It, 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 there's, there's some confusion in all of this. A. W. Tozer is an incredible man of God. I mean, he's someone who had such a fervent love for Christ. In fact, he wrote a book that every pastor or preacher in this room more than likely has heard of, read, or has in their library and knows where it is called The Pursuit of God. But it probably should have been titled In Pursuit of God and Not of Your Family. Because I guess you can do both. Because A.W. Tozer's wife. A year after A.W. died, she remarried and said this, Aidan Tozer loved Jesus Christ, but Leonard Odom loves me. So, is that the epitaph you want written on your tombstone? Is that, is that our goal? Is that what it looks like for us pastors that we just sort of set ourselves up for failure because what's most important is is, is Jesus, a fervent love for Jesus Christ, regardless of if that that ever translates into love for my wife or kids or or others. If you were to read more into his biography, you would discover that his children, too, had no relationship with A.W. Tozer, none whatsoever. And yet today he would be one of the most prolific theologians that anyone would ever read. How does that happen? I believe that this, this has thrown the Christian world into a massive confusion state. I'm convinced that many today are out of church because this is unanswered. It's not talked about. It's, 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 it's off limits. I would hate for my wife to have to say of me, Oh, he's a man of God, but he's not my man. I don't want to be a man of God if I can't be her man too. So what do we do with this? Well, first of all, let's make it practical. That was kind of heavy, wasn't it? So everybody take a deep breath. Relax. Now, let's make it practical. Okay, I have in this pulpit a Bible. And I'm, I'm a little old school. You know, I know everybody new. got has the iPad thing where they can read somebody else's sermon. I sorry, I don't do that. I, I actually bring a Bible in the pulpit. I'm joking. I bring a Bible. I love the old school. I, I just like a paper Bible. Nothing wrong with it. an iPad or an iPhone. I love it all too. And I have some of that as well. But I love to bring a Bible in the pulpit. I say that to say that this is what I'm preaching from. In fact, for, for 26 years, this is what I have preached from. The Bible, the Word of God. And, and, and many of you have heard me preach 100 times or 200 or 1,000 or 5,000 there have been some that have heard me preach maybe seven or 8,000, which is about what, how many sermons I think I've preached since I've been pastor here, if you've been a charter member. I mean, you've heard me preach thousands of times. And here in the last 10 years, you've heard me preach probably 100 sermon series where we take a group of weeks and put them all together and theme it out. And, and, and so you've heard a lot of sermon series. You've heard a lot of Bible. You've heard a lot of preaching. But if it's not impacting your life, if it's not impacting your marriage, if it's not impacting your parenting, then you will lose. Your marriage will lose. Your children will lose. You will not see the life change and the spiritual growth just because you've heard a sermon. You see, there, there must be a connection between the preaching, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God speaking to your heart and then you doing something with it. Otherwise, it's tragic. Let me share a verse for you in Deuteronomy chapter number 30 and verse number 19 on the screen. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. And I'm going somewhere with this. That I have set before you, look at that word, life. Life in this particular passage speaks of the law. It speaks of the commands, the word of God, the Bible, our owner's manual for human happiness and total fulfillment. For instance, if I'm driving in my car and I don't know how to turn something on or I'm not sure why that light came on, what do you do? What do I do? We go to what's called the glove compartment. We open it up and we get out a owner's manual, right? And we look it up. We try to figure it out. So in life, this is our owner's manual for life. But God says, wait a minute. I've set before you life and I've set before you death. I've set before you blessing and I've set before you cursing. So therefore choose life. It's your choice. You see, the choice is up to you this morning, not me. I can present truth. The Holy Spirit can convict a heart. But the choice is up to you that you and your children, that you and your grandchildren May live it's powerful because I think we've got a lot of dying families just dying spiritually dying in their marriage dying their children are, are not with them in church and, and, and again, I say this not to scold not to not to for guilt reasons but just again there, there, there's a lot of help that can be given there's a lot of healing that can take place when we stop for a moment and recognize the direction we're going in and so this morning, I want to turn back to Exodus chapter 20. I want to look at these four verses on one command. The Bible says to remember the Sabbath in verse number 8 and keep it holy. God is saying in effect, God is saying, I want you once a week to knock it off. Knock what off, preacher? Everything, everything, knock it off, settle down, stop. We went to New York a week and a half ago and Carolyn doesn't even know this until right now, because when it happened, I'd already had this message prepared and I, and I wanted or mostly prepared and I, and I, and I wanted her to hear it in the message. So I, I, you're, you're, you're getting water, you know, the little place where you get water and juice and nuts and all that. Well, I'm getting the luggage. The bellman comes to be an African American gentleman. I'm not sure he was an angel. Maybe. He said, "Sir, you look stressed." He's got my luggage. I'm like, really? I didn't realize that. He said, "That's your wife over there." I said, "Yes, sir." You blessed man. Let me tell you something, sir. What do you do for a living? I said, "I'm a pastor." He said. You take a day off. Put my head down. I said, no, not really. Not too good at it. Struggle. He said, how long you going to be here? I said, three days, three nights. He said, do me a favor. Do yourself a favor. Do her a favor. Settle down. Stop. Shut it off. See that cell phone? I'm like, that was Gabriel. <laughs> that was Michael the archangel right there. I can tell you what he looks like. He's going to be there when I get to heaven. The bellman in New York. But oh, was he ever right? You see, it's interesting to note that the only time God talks about the Sabbath is not in Exodus 20. For whatever reason, we've kind of made all kinds of excuses for not taking a day. And, and even sometimes for skipping church to do other things or to do things that that, that are not... Uh, really priority when it comes to God and we find all of these excuses and forget that God says a whole lot about this in fact another place in scripture not on the screen so you'll look for just a moment because it's three chapters or a few chapters over Exodus 31 verse number 12 and the Lord said to Moses you are to speak to the people of Israel and say above all I read that and I thought whoa what I'm about to hear he said, is above everything else. So here it is. Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath. I mean, I would have thought God would have had something else to say if he was going to say, above everything else, it's this. It's keep the Sabbath. So let me give you three things to consider why this is so important. First of all, this is so important because it's God's provision for us to align everything else in our lives. God knew this. God understood that we would be busy. God understood that that, that we were broken and we were fractured, that we needed to take a day to align everything else in our lives. We go, go, go. We never stop. We never inventory. We never review. And that's why tonight's so important. Tonight's service will last 48 minutes if everything's on time. 48 most important 48 most important minutes since the last time we did this 48 minutes of inventory 48 minutes of examination 48 minutes of uh, to to be able to understand the greatness of God and how we need to be right with God and, and and what an opportunity to take the Lord's Supper the way that we do by the grace of God it's so special and we need this in our lives Notice he says in verse 13 that this will be a sign between me and you. What does he mean by that? Why is this a sign? Well, the word sign is another word for signal. Signal meaning God says I want this day to be a signal that says this. I need more of you and less of this. Less work, more of you. I need less television that day and more of you. I need less of whatever else that's distracting you and hurrying you and and causing you to overschedule less of that and more of god shut it off number two look at verse 14 in that text 31 it says you shall keep the sabbath because it is holy for you well what makes this day holy well, I believe number two, we should understand it's important because God's purpose for us is to be set apart and to be holy. Isn't that true? That's even a, I mean, honestly, and I'll say in just a moment, I'll reflect a little bit towards the New Testament to remind us that, 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 that not everything in the Old Testament is, is to be, is, is to be taken lightly. I mean, we are to be set apart. We are to be holy. And that's what this day does for us. We need one day a week that is different from all the other days of the week. In a moment, I'll address the legalist because I know we have those. I don't know who they are. I just know that I'm one sometimes, so I figure you are sometimes. The legalist who says, well, you can't mow your grass on Sunday. We'll get to you in just a minute. Hang on. Number three, look, if you would, please, at verse 14, the next part of the verse. After it says it's holy, it goes a step further and says, And also, everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Okay, one to ten on God is serious. You're put to death, ten being serious, one being... Ten. Okay, God, you got my attention. Whoever does not work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. I wrote down number three. God's plan for us is to cease from work and rest. Sabbath rest is about stopping. It's about ceasing from work and it's about resting. That's what it's about and there's a purpose in it. There's a lot to this day. There's a lot to this even for our families and so if we were to read the rest of it and I will quickly hear six days shall work be done but the seventh day is a Sabbath solemn rest holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel. Now, because this is an unusual subject to preach this much information on, I want to address the confusion that exists about the Sabbath in 2018, because it is there. There's a lot of confusion about the Sabbath. Even denominationally, there's confusion about the sabbath and and there's confusion and questions about the sabbath even in the midst of of congregations like ourselves so i want to be very gentle in how i approach this and the reason i want to be gentle is because i struggle with it myself at times we need to understand how the law relates today so critical especially for our young people and those that are young in the bible and young theologians and growing in their knowledge of the of the word of god we believe, church, in a doctrine that is called the priesthood of the believers. We believe in that. There's no question in our minds that we understand that Second Timothy chapter 2, verse uh, 15 speaks of the fact that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, not the man Erica Pacey. Can I get an amen? Not a priest, not a pastor, not a person. There is one God, one mediator between, between, between God and man, and that is Jesus. You don't have to go through me. We believe that Jesus Christ is enough. He fulfilled the law, and you've got direct access to God through Jesus. Amen. We believe that. That is a doctrine of our church. But the problem with this is I begin to see this, and as I begin to mature in my understanding of the day we live in, is that some have taken that and actually created another doctrine called, we'll call it the autonomy of the believer. Now, the word autonomy is a word that means separate. It's a word that means self-governing. Oftentimes, you'll hear the church called An autonomous church. And we are an autonomous church. We believe that. Our church is self-governing. We have elders. We have deacons. We have a congregation that makes decisions as we move forward. So we believe in that. But but oftentimes this this becomes an issue with believers who become somewhat arrogant in the fact that, well, that's what he said, but I can do whatever I want. I mean, I, I don't believe that. Now, let me share it this way we all have areas of expertise for instance if I needed brain surgery in the morning and Brent Leach who is an electrician said hey preacher you know I've never done one but I'll give it a shot I mean I I, you know I I, I can't make any promises but hey I'll cut you open I've got I can bring my electrical stuff we'll see if we can fix your brain a little bit there and uh, close you up and hey it might work Thanks, Brent. I'll call you on my plug, but stay away from my brain. If I need my tooth pulled, I don't need your pliers. I'm going to Mr. Haynes on the corner. If I need my car fixed, probably not going to call Jim. (laughs) I'm going to call Mark. Because there are areas of expertise I say this very gently because I don't want anybody to take this wrong, but, you know, for a long time I've been preaching and pastoring and studying and working hard to become the kind of pastor that when I stand before, behind this pulpit, behind the authority of God, I'm not preaching my opinion. I'm preaching the word of God. I really do. I work hard at my expertise. I work hard at coming to the pulpit without controversy. I work hard at not bringing to this platform issues that really don't matter that would cause us to have maybe some, some, some discussion that could lead to things that would potentially not be correct or just opinions or whatever. I, I really stay focused on the word of God. And I would ask you this morning to give me your ear as we look at this subject and pay close attention. I'm not going to stay on it long, but I'm going to ask you to trust somewhat of my judgment as opposed to jumping to conclusions just saying well that's just eric's opinion i'm my own person so i'm gonna do my thing because i read a book and so hang on let me say this about the law the law is and isn't still operational how you like that that's what wishy-washy isn't it let's start right off with some wishy-washy preaching okay The law is and isn't still operational. All right, the law. The law was given, right? God's commands. A schoolmaster, Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 says, look at it on the screen. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster, New Testament verse here, to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. I love that verse. In fact, I really like the way the King James says that, schoolmaster. It's a good word. It's an easy word to understand. We understand that that's why the law is there. It is given to help us to understand that we can't keep it. In fact, the sum total of the law is basically this. I can't. I can't even keep the top ten. In fact, Jesus said, if I offend it in one, I'm guilty of all. Isn't that right? And so we finally come to the place where we come crawling back and saying... I need a Savior. I can't keep the law. I've tried. I failed. That's kind of what Jordan was sharing. If you listen to his, what he read just a moment ago, it's the finished work of Jesus Christ. We can't do it. And that's what the law reminds us of. It's a schoolmaster. It teaches us a lesson that we cannot do it and we need a Savior. God's standard is perfection and none of us meet that. Good place for an amen. Okay. We got a lot of perfect people here today. Great, okay. I want to say a big amen to I can't be perfection. In my marriage, in my parenting, every area of my life, I cannot meet God's standard. God says it's got to be perfect, and I say I'm out. And God says that's okay. He paid a debt he did not owe because I owed a debt. I could not pay. That's the gospel. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross to take our place. But people will sometimes use that to totally dismiss the law. For instance, we know in scripture that Paul said very clearly that we are not under law, we are under grace. But for a moment, could we all admit that this is a very cautious clear and concise statement that there is immense wisdom in a portion of the law there's two types of laws there is the commandments and we understand the commandments right we've been preaching about the 10 commandments there is the commandments and then there is the ceremonial law that's a little weird the ceremonial law says that you know we we can't eat animals with split hooves. anybody done that lately i don't even know what a hoof is just like i don't sing bringing in the sheaves because i don't know what a sheaf is okay and then it says, you look, we got to wear, you know, we can't have, like, in our clothes, we can't have this fabric and that fabric together. So if we got this fabric together, then we've, we've, we've not obeyed the law. And, and, and all these weird, I mean, it's really intense. Look, let me tell you something. Every single Bible scholar out there with any sense would say, and I, I believe they all have enough sense to say, the ceremonial law is out. It's completely out. I mean, it's, it's, it's not in effect today. But Scripture does say, the study yourself." show... Approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So though the ceremonial law is out, what remains is the commandments. And we all understand that all of the commandments are reiterated in the New Testament. Every single one of them. And so with that as an understanding, some of the things in the law actually predate the law. For instance, many would say, well, that's why I don't tithe because it's part of the law. But that's silly. Because tithing predates the law. You're not under tithing as a law. You're under tithing as a principle of wisdom for a place to start. It makes sense. And we understand that God's, God with our 90% can go a lot farther than us with our 100%. And when you and I say, God, I don't need that principle. I can do it on my own. We find ourselves in major financial problems chaos we get more in the new testament so guess what we give more in the new testament the sabbath rest is not rooted in mount sinai i mean does anybody want to know where the sabbath rest is rooted in the garden of eden in fact in the ten commandments itself it makes mention of the fact that six days god took to create the world but on the seventh day he rested So this predates the law. This Sabbath rest is something that God says is very, very, very important. And for you or me to say that I don't need a day like this is to say that, you know what, God, I've got a business over here. I'm going to work every day I want to work. And hey, you mind your own business. I don't need you. I can do more in six days with a day of rest in God than you can in seven days leaving God out. For you to get a paycheck and say, God, you're not getting anything this time, is to say, I got this. I'm on my own. I've got a financial advisor. He's over there at Merrill Lynch, God, and and I don't need you. And God says, I'm a pretty good financial advisor. Our principles work. A lot of people in financial chaos are trusting a man behind a desk and a computer and not the principles in the word of God. Be very careful about that. See, I've experienced the consequences of disobedience in my marriage and in my parenting by not following the principle of Sabbath rest. When we don't take one day to rest, we're saying to God, I can do this by myself. And so I want to give you six Sabbath choices quickly. Here they are. We laid a foundation. It was strong. It was clear. It was, I don't think, complicated at all. So here it is. Number number one, I will not work. That's a Sabbath rest choice. And I'll get to just a moment where that, how that works, and and I'll give you some clarity, and it won't take me long. This is going to be quick. I will not work. I'm going to have a day every week where I, I do not labor. I do not toil. I do not work. Number two, I will not hurry. I will not hurry. Man, I'm a hurrier. I can usually outwork just about anybody on this staff. The older I get, the better I get at it, man. I'm a I'm a workaholic. I, I can go, move, shake, I'm with the best of them. I mean, you look at my schedule. My, you just ask Carrie. She says, I, you you scare me. <laughs> Carrie says, good night. She says, it's crazy, preacher. You're here, there. She's talking to me as I'm leaving the office, you know. And sometimes I act like I don't hear her. Sometimes I don't. But sometimes I do and I just keep walking because I got to get this done. <laughs> One day a week, I will not hurry. Number three, I will not overschedule. Oh, man. Am I ever, you ever... Has anybody ever experienced my overscheduling? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Please, don't admit it. I mean, come on, Scott. You want mission support? Shut up. All right. And uh, I'm joking. It's the truth. No, Scott's right, man. I mean, you know, how, how many weeks has he asked me for a cup of coffee? And I'm like, you know, it's coming. It's coming. We're getting there. Okay. Let's drink it over Marco Polo. It's the same thing, right? You know, I will not overschedule. Number four, I will worship. I will worship on this day. On this day, I will set time aside. And in our context to come to a worship gathering. Now, let me, let me say this about that. The Sabbath rest in the Old Testament would have been Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. Today, for us, it's Saturday sundown to Sunday night sundown, right? So, I want this church to know that as soon as we can, we're going to do a Saturday night worship. I think it's a great idea. I I think I don't, here's my point. I do not think it's about the period of time. It's not about Sunday morning, Sunday school at 10, Sunday morning worship at 11, or you're not right with God. Give me a break. Who made the times up? There's no point in scripture that says it has to be sunday morning or sunday night or even saturday night it's more about just doing it it's more about having a day set aside whether it's saturday whether it's sunday that's fine but make sure there is a day that you come to a corporate worship service and that's why it's so important on sunday mornings and that's why we do put our corporate services on what is it called uh Podcast, thank you, so that you can listen if you miss and and, and experience it at least that way. I will worship. Number five, I will love and care for those I love. On this day, I'm going to pour into my family. On this day, I'm going to take time to sit and consider my family. It's one reason why we don't come back on Sunday night, church. We don't come back every Sunday night anymore. We used to. We used to go Sunday morning and Take a quick nap, really not a nap. You just kind of close your eyes and then come back for choir, come back for church, stay after for practice. I mean, we had about 30 minutes if you were active in our church where you had off ones. It was the craziest church you've ever seen in your life. We were a bunch of people running everywhere. Chickens with our heads cut off, man. Busy, 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 busy on the day of rest. It has been so refreshing for my family and I. Who's all for Sunday night with family now? Anybody? Anybody with me? I love it. Okay, I love it. I love it. Hey, there's nothing like it. I, I actually get a nap now where I fall asleep and dream. It's unbelievable. On Sundays. I mean, I, I'm falling that deep in a sleep until KJ and Bentley and Laney wake me up. But they're getting better. They're getting better because they, I think one time I woke up like, and I'm like, What? <laughs> I lost it and scared them. They're like, oh! <laughs> I heard yesterday, I took a little nap yesterday afternoon, like 15 minutes, just because I knew I had a long night. And, and 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 I guess Lainey was getting close to me and I heard Michelle, Sheeta go, Lainey, don't wake him up. I'm like, you go, Michelle, you go. <laughs> number, number six, I will rest. Now, what do you do when you rest? All right, here's the end of the sermon. And I think this is what... P.T. Barnum in the movie learned, and I understand it may have not been exactly like that. It was a movie, but in the movie, I think he learned these things. Number one, you got to look up. This is how you rest. You look up. First of all, you let God get big and you let yourself get small. You just got to do that you got to have a big God sometimes. And sometimes we make God too small and we get all about ourselves and our schedule and our lives. We've got to refocus and and look up to the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He needs to be preeminent. And a day of rest refocuses you on God. Number two, look back. Look back and ask yourself some questions on the Sabbath rest. Look back over the last, what, six days. That's all i got to do. If I do this every week, it never gets away from me. If I do this every week, my marriage never gets away from me. If I do this every week, if I look back and say, okay, how did I do this week? What mistakes did I make? If I look back and say to my wife, hey, honey, did we get a date this week? And she says, nope. Actually, this week, I got left out. Wow. Hmm. Sorry, babe. We're going to fix that this week. So I look back, every week I do this, and and you can fix things quickly. They don't become tragedies, they don't become emergencies. We don't find ourselves four months down the road, and all of a sudden we have neglected our wives or our husbands to the point where we've not even talked about it because we, we don't take a rest. So I look back, number next, I look inside, and I ask myself the question, what do I need to make right with God and with others? What do I need to say I'm sorry for? What do I need to do to say, honey, I'm sorry, children, I'm sorry. I I want to get things right on a week. I don't want to have long accounts. I don't want it to go forever. You know, honestly, I think sometimes we're confessing really, really, really big sins because we didn't confess really, really, really small ones. Is that fair? I mean, if I keep short accounts with God and my family, if I'm I'm vulnerable in letting them say to me, you know what, (laughs) you're not... You're not doing what you preach, Dad. Come on. I mean, honey, you got to slow down. If I'm not listening to those things on a weekly basis, more than likely, I'm going to run, knowing me, I'm going to run so far away from my family, I'm going to ruin this thing. I need people to speak into my life, and I need to ask them to speak into my life so I can be accountable. So i look inside. Number four, look ahead. Look ahead. Look to the future. Look, look, hey, That's why I showed you that last picture because the future should be you and your wife enjoying life together That's the future The future is not going to include raising your kids. The future is not going to include uh, you know having 10 people around the table or for us Seven people or eight people around the table The future is going to be you and your wife on a rocking chair hanging out drinking coffee and talking about amen I know some of you are thinking and i'm one of them Man, I never want to sit in a rocket chair on the back porch. I tell you what, the older I get, the more I can't wait. I used to say that. I, I'm not going to retire to the refire. I'm like, Dad dumb, I'm going I'm to retire. <laughs> I'm looking kind of forward to taking it easy and, you know, taking an extra vacation and hanging out with a wife and just taking off for a week. I'm looking forward to that one day because at the end of the day, I've got some goals. I want to look ahead. Now, how does this apply to marriage and I'm done? Here's how it applies to marriage. God will get one day a week to press reset in my marriage. That's it. That's how I apply it. What do we need to talk about, honey? How much better would our marriages be if we had a day every week where we said, how are we doing? Every week. honesty. how are we doing? And some weeks it's going to be this. You want to really know? I don't think we're doing as good as we were last week. Really? Yeah, I just... I feel like, you know, the NBA playoffs are not good for our marriage. Well, too bad, sweetheart. Get over it. It's only a couple of weeks. Right, Zoe? Hey, Amen. Right, Luke? <laughs> Luke's like, oh, I'm not sure, preacher. No, I'm joking. But sometimes... It's going to be a great week. Man, sweetheart, we've we've had good intimacy in the bedroom. We've had a great, great week as far as our date life. Man, you've not missed our kids' games this week. Man, we've had a phenomenal week at the dinner. We've actually ate dinner this week four times together, sweetheart. It's been phenomenal. Really? Good. Let's try to do this again. If it was that good, let's try it again. You say, Eric, you're living in the fantasy world. No, you are If you don't think this works, you're saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. This is why He calls us to rest, to focus, to look up, to look back, to look in, to look ahead. Every head bound, every eye closed.